August 15, 2020. It's a watch from Pedro's show.
This morning it was already in the 70s. I think we're going up to 91 in Pedro, uh, that's Fahrenheit, which is, is kind of intense. So everybody uh, probably in Quentin Quarantino mode. Uh, Brother Matt at the Love Grotto still, a couple miles south. But I'm not totally man alone, good people, because the wonders of those software engineers in Estonia with their Skype invention. Now, make sure I can pronounce this right. Alex Kleber? Kleber? Yeah, Kleber. Yeah, that's Kleber. correct. Okay. You heard them, people, all the way from Brighton, England. It's Alex Claver. And uh, thanks. Welcome aboard. I mean, uh, this is a fellow bass brother that I got connected to through bass. And uh, he has made my life easier on a hefting and also on a feeling, hearing level where people can actually uh, 
uh, yeah, I get uh, traumatized by what I, I'm doing. He's <laughs> here because his bare face stuff is just, it's, it's, what can I say? You know, you got to, I don't know, Hemi, I'm Darm Garlitz with a dragster, right? And I got these big ass uh, tires, Goodyear slicks. And then what, a little Volkswagen tranny? No. You need something to get that power to the wheels. And that's uh, what Alex's uh, invention with his speaker boxes. They've really, and he's he's working on other stuff to help too. But we'll get into that. Uh, I should tell people we started off the show with John Coltrane with Milt Jackson doing the night we called it a day. Now, Mill Jackson, his nickname was Bags. So this record was called Bags and Train, and he was a vibes player. Uh, after that was Agent Orange with Kickers. Now, people, this is another Agent Orange, not the Orange County one. This was the, the England one, and it was a, a little bit later than Mike Palm's group. I remember when I first saw Agent Orange. I think Mike's voice hadn't changed yet. So have you ever heard that song, Blood Bloodstains or something? Uh, yeah, that high voice, that's how how it is when you're 16 or 15. And Steve Soto was on the bass. We lost him a couple of years ago. He ended up in the adolescence. Great, great cat. And I remember talking to him. He said he had to sneak out of his room. To, this was up in Hollywood, a place called The King and I. It later turned into Rogers, and then it was torn down after Earthquake. But uh, anyway, this was one of... Uh, well, let's talk about Alex's learn about his early. Alex, what's your earliest musical rat collection? God, uh, early earliest musical thing. I guess for me, it was cassettes that my dad had got. So, because this would have been early mid eighties. Um, so he he got LPs, but I didn't have a record player. That was downstairs. Um, but I remember listening to. I was really kind of mostly sort of late sixties, early seventies rock. So. It was quite. It was, I had these. I had these like three or four here. Music. You had to own it, and music cost money. And I was six, oh, seven, okay. eight, that sort of age. One of the bands I remember being on there was this band called Python Lee Jackson, who were I think an Aussie band. Okay. But I'm listening and thinking this sounds like Rod Stewart once I got older, and then due to the wonders of the internet nowadays, I Google was like, oh, okay, their their vocalist died, and Rod Stewart stepped in on vocals. For this oh. particular tune, which is why it sounded like Rod Stewart. Which is probably before, um, the, fa- uh, before the Faces? Yeah, great. Uh, In a Broken Dream. Great tune. Great guitar solo. Um, uh, other things I really remember. Paranoid. I remember Paranoid, Black Sabbath. Oh, okay. I remember walking... You're talking about the second album. The... You know, the other great thing about cassettes was you could bring them in the car. Yeah. So you probably was riding around in the car, car with your pop listening to music, too. Yeah, we, he used to... Um, Hawkwind, Silver Machine. Ah, yeah, great one I'll too. always associate with him. And, um, you know who Green. wrote that song? Lemmy wrote that song. It's, I know it's Lemmy on vocals. Did he write it? That's right. Oh. Yeah, bass brother Lemmy. Uh, what about in the pad? Was there any musical instruments? No. Um, my, well, let me think. My, my, my grandpa got me a, um, one of those little, I think they're called reed organs, you know, sort of precursor of keyboards. And I remember fiddling around with that. And then I had a keyboard related, and I briefly played violin when I was seven, but I didn't engage with that. Was that in the school? First... Was, was the yeah. violin in school? Okay, yeah. Because I was yeah. going to ask, were you in the marching band or the choir or shit like that? I was, I did, I, 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 I had this weird, mem- right, so when I was 
eight, I went to like a, a private school. We call them public schools here, but it was a, a private one. And I could sing. I had one of those proper sort of Boyd soprano treble voices. Um, and I went to an audition for the chapel choir. So that was like sort of the church choir at school. And the music teacher played a note on the piano and asked me to sing it. And I was completely confused because I knew I couldn't make that sound. And, and, and as I've got older, I've been like, well, and, and I, 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 you know, a bit later, I was like, why didn't I sing the note? But I think I've realised that I have as much as I connect to musical notes and harmony and rhythms. I've obviously got this very deep seated connection to the sound that makes music. And I was very much aware that I can't make the sound of a piano with my voice. Ah, so and like I, you, you couldn't relate that you could have dissimilar sounds, but they would have the same pitch. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I can't sing that sound. Right, because <laughs> you're probably not... why I'm obsessive about gear and tone and making stuff sound right. And, and I think if we look at how music education happens, it's very much rooted in notes and melody and rhythm. And, but if we look at successful music over the last few decades, a lot of it's about the nuance of sound. Like, 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 like you think of like uh, the late Peter Green, who's just died. Ah, great guitar. Played great notes, but so much of it was was about the the sound and the micro timings and the feel and all the sort of stuff that you can't write down in classical notation. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're getting at is maybe the idea of like tiny tape recorders, like what we call samples. That was it. I think the first machine that could do that was the Mellotron. Yes. Which was actually like. Eight tape recorders or something. <laughs> and you could yeah. play these tapes back at different speeds, and that's where you got your pitch. That's why I had a keyboard. Oh, I've, I've never seen one. I've just heard tales of people playing them, like, in the studio when recording albums, and it being a sort of multi-person job operating yeah. the Mellotron in the studio. There's that song, uh, Sue Egypt, from Captain Beefheart, and you can hear it. It's on some Led Zeppelin. It's on the right. Beatles' Strawberry Fields. I know it's on um, it's on um, Californication. It's on the title track, Chili Peppers. Chili I'm pretty Peppers. sure that's a Mellotron. Yeah, but I mean, going back to the '60s, Sergeant. Uh, yeah, yeah, Strawberry Fields. That that sound. Woo woo woo. Yeah. I'm trying to say, I'm, I'd say just Beef Captain Beefheart is another band I associate with my dad. Listening, not not Trapmaster Replica, which I remember buying as a student and being in the sort of CD era in the nineties and being like, right, well, I've spent fifteen quid, you know, whatever that is, twenty five, thirty dollars on a CD. I'm going to listen to this over and over again, even though it is cacophonous and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, your pop, your pop probably had Safe as Milk, right? Or yeah. Yes, and, and, that, and that's got a lot more blues. Yeah. And in fact, that's the uh, kind of musicians his own age. By Trout Mass Replica, he's playing with much younger guys. Yeah, I, I, I read, I remember at the time reading the stories about the, the madness of the recording of that. It's a proper trip. Yeah, um, well, you know, they're kind they of locked in a house for months. And then, like a and, year, think, like a year, yeah. they practice that and, thing. There's a I great. There's a the great Don book. Van Vliet, Captain Beefheart. He, um, when he recorded the vocals, he like wouldn't like wear headphones, or he was just listening for the to a guide. He was listening to the bleed from the control room or something. It was like you know, Mike he, Barnes has got a great book on him, uh, a writer there in England, and it's called right. you know, it's Captain Beefheart in the second edition. And what he says, Frank Zappa said there was a little sound coming off the window because Frank Zappa recorded that album, but they yeah. were so practiced. 
but they had never practiced once with the captain singing. So he had to do that all on the fucking fly when they got done. Now back to you. What uh did you do the thing like after school you got the basement band or the the garage band or a cellar band or such shit like that? Well what happened with me? I went to um so I got into music, like, I, I, I was listening to old music, my dad's music. I was listening to, you know, like, Jethro Tull and The Doors and Cream and stuff like that. And I didn't, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 78, and I was not liking what I was, you know, because there was, yeah, there was there was the alternative stuff like you were doing in the 80s, but the pop charts were dominated by, you know, 80s music, the 80s sounds. So, particularly in the UK, I guess we didn't have the sort of hip-hop thing happening in such a big way over here. And... Yeah, then I started getting into contemporary music when I went to boarding school. Um, when I was 15, I decided I wanted to be an army officer and went off to this army sixth form college when I just turned 16. And then at that point, I just I started catching up. I was a few years behind. So yeah. I, I started listening to, it was, you know, it was 94 when I went there. So I just missed Nirvana and I started getting into their stuff. Um, I remember having a cassette of Dookie Green Day that I borrowed off someone. And the first contemporary album I bought um, was Soundgarden, Super Unknown, which is still an album I listen to over and over again. It's one of my most listened to albums. It's just an outstanding piece of work. And I had a dorm mate who, Rick, who played guitar. He'd literally started playing guitar a few months ago, but I, a few months before that. But I was like... Oh, whack, we can play guitar. And this was during the sort of Britpop movement over here. So Oasis and Blur and Pulp and all that thing was, was getting going. But we were more into the... Rick was in, into some of the Britpoppy stuff, but I was more into basically all this American stuff, kind of grunge and post-grunge, and also getting into Metallica and, and, and digging back into metal. So that's... And then he said he wanted me to play take up bass to play in his band and I was like oh if I play bass I'll never get any work done and I was kind of focused on getting good exam results I was doing maths and physics and chemistry and difficult A-level stuff before university and then right at the end of sixth form so I was 17 you know a few months before I turned 18 I'd, everyone else had finished their exams I had one exam to go and I just could not be bothered and Rick had access we had a music room like a uh, rehearsal room at school with I remember there was a music man amp in there brand Hannah had of and but we because we, we had access to it we just used to take the stuff up to our dorm and I started messing around on the bass at that point and Rich showed me a few things and Peach Doddles he showed me you know a few things and whose bass uh this was the school stuff because ah, we okay school. okay the amplifier yeah. and the bass okay 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 yeah yeah they had they they had you know we had a we, I, after in retrospect I'm like well that was we were really fortunate there was like a big old room with a drum kit and a PA system and all that stuff in there Wow. Um, yeah. And um, I think it was an Aria, an Aria Pro 2, the bass, black one. So I spent, yeah, a few weeks when I should have been doing my final exams and stuff, avoiding the work playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember at that point listening to Cream, Crossroads, and realising that if you turned the balance control one way, you could hear Jack Bruce much more clearly. You can mix and it. I was you, like, you can remix it yourself. Yeah. And I was like... Wow, because you know how it was like in those those late sixties recordings when Absolutely. they were like, "We've got stereo. We'll put the guitar on one side, <laughs> the bass on the other." Right, and and in fact, that's a live recording, so you can hear Jack Bruce roll Eric Clapton. Oh, he's Jack Bruce. He's 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 the he was the most mind blowing bassist. Yeah. Even even if he someone turned up and played bass like that now, yeah. you know, it'd be like he's a hell of a bassist. But at that point, to step out, yeah, like that. And just and be like, no, I'm playing. You know, the, 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 I don't know how much the sound, his sound, was 
but kind of accidental. You know, it's the sound you get when you play that bassy owned and you turn it up very loud through, <laughs> you know, six Marshall four twelves. Um, but God, he was such a such yeah. A, I owe that man. Oh. I owe that man very much. Look, I want to play a little more uh, Agent Orange here. Thank you. 
Lord, let me live in a house down by the sea and show tenderness to everyone I meet. And if the day should come when it's time for me to leave, let it be upon the terms that I keep. Time, let me feel the sweet touch of your release. Let it work in ways of order and of peace. With the wind and with the sun, my good morning has begun. I will walk with confidence and with a calm. With scissors and a lock, by the water and the rock. With a memory of family and me Oh, could it be that I've everything I want That I'm in some happiness I look for long And if that day has come, let it wash all over me let me stand there in the light forever be. Time, please do give the sweet touch of your release. Let it flow in ways that I have never seen. With the wind and with the sun, my good morning has begun. I will walk with confidence and with a calm With the scissors and the lock By the water and the rock With a memory of family and me Call. 
Metro City Social Scene 
show yeah that was agent orange the england one not orange county with katie after that brand new from few the void hot sweaty tokyo i don't know if you've ever been to tokyo in summertime but whoa well it's not just uh the temperature it's the amount of moisture in the air like anywhere in the u.s east of the rockies right (laughs) or or uh where are my uh, italian friends in bologna oh my god does it get humid there after that, I've done, I've done, I've done DC in the summertime. That's hard. I, that's rough. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> that's really hard. See, and you know the worst thing. What's that? If you dress for the summer weather, you then go into the office. I was there for work for a fortnight, and you freeze because yeah. they've air conditioned it down to what well, I call it. That's like. right. That's right. Nightmare it makes no sense. That's why we're spoiled here in Pedro, but it's not a north-south thing. It's really east or west of the Rockies. You know, right. Montreal in the summer is sweatier than you fucking can believe. St. Louis, oh my God. Okay. Right. Then after uh, brand new from uh, Mr. Tom in Pittsburgh, by the way, Pittsburgh. Oh my God. Oh man. But uh, beautiful town and stuff. Uh, uh, Jim Menken, he's got a brand new record. It's called Hot, Wet, and Sassy. Uh, Will Johnson after that brand new out of Austin with uh, I Am Back at the Window Again. Brand new from Tropical Fuckstorm. Legal Ghost. Guy by voices, Bob Pollard, putting out a new album, Immortals. Uh, Pat Irish after that, brand new from State New York, where it's fucking sweat. (laughs) (laughs) Pop, comp, art gallery, and finally Kleenex by Agent Orange. And uh, so what what about this Agent Orange band? Well, well, I I, I should get back to it. You're doing bass at school and you're not doing your exams, so let's pick it up from there. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that was right at the end of, of school. I guess you'd call it high school. You know, I was, I was, I'm, I'm the, I'm an August birthday, so I turned 18 just after I left. But then, yeah, then I went to university to study mechanical engineering. I dropped out of the army system. I, I learned that I was um, good at giving orders, but very bad at following them unless I agreed with them. <laughs> <laughs> so a fundamental issue in the military. So I, I, I went my own way. And um, literally, the second person I met at university, well, it was two people I met simultaneously, but yeah, he was the second and third people I met. One of those two people was a bassist, which is like, well, yeah, what's the chance of that? Yeah. I was, I, the guy next door to me was a, a pianist with perfect pitch, who also played drums and was studying engineering. And then just round the corridor, we're, we're there in halls. So we're in catered halls, first year at Bristol Uni. Walk around, we bump into these two guys, start chatting, you know, they're into music. One of them's a saxophonist, the other one is a bassist. And um, and I'm like, and I that summer, I borrowed my mum's classical guitar, taken the top two strings off it and been trying to play bass, you know, for, for a couple of months. Um, By top people, time, he means high strings. He don't mean the two low strings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the B and the the G. The, uh, sorry, the B and the E. The, yeah, the one that's confusingly tuned. I thought a bass was just a guitar with four strings. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, yeah, this this guy John John Ballard. He 
he'd brought his old bass, his cheap bass with him, which was like a Squire Precision. He'd got a Stingray at home that he'd just recently got. So that was his treasured possession. He didn't dare bring it in case someone stole it. And he brought a guitar with him as well. And he was like, oh, I want to get better at guitar. He got a band back home. So he was like, you, you borrow my bass. So it's literally, you know, second person, third person I met at uni lends me a bass and let me a little practice amp that he'd got. And that was me for the first few months of university, you know, doing a bit of engineering and just, you know, every day when I was back, getting in my room, cranking this tiny little amp up and playing bass through it. Now, and now, it was like, right, I'm gonna... were you trying to learn songs off records? You didn't take lessons from a person, right? No, I was, um, this, so this was 1996. So this was, and I was just new to using the internet. That was kind of, because university, we got access to it. And I remember downloading loads of tabs for things. Um, so oh, Rage Against the Machine, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, because actually those those bands of the, the 90s, the early 90s, they the bass was mixed quite loud in those. And there's some interesting bass lines. I mean, obviously, the tab's often wrong and simplified, but I was sort of picking my way through that. And John had also got a transcription book of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And then I started, I had a go at that and started digging into the chili peppers and that that was probably the, the moment when i went from being like right i'm into metal and rock but i was quite being quite a metal i didn't look like one but um i was being quite a metal rock grunge that sort of thing well you were in, you went to school in bristol yeah okay um, university in bristol okay right yeah yeah I, under I understand but the pop group was from bristol and they're from the late 70s and they had heavy bass like dub Oh, that's interesting, because Bristol Wheels, when I was there at Bristol Uni, it was the trip-hop movement was really big. So you'd got Massive Attack, Portishead. Tricky. Um, tricky. I got to record yeah. with Tricky, but uh, the pop groups, way be they were like teenagers in the late 70s, and they made this band. Uh, I, I'm just curious, because you were in the town. Now, it was yeah, I, but it was almost I, 20 I'm years. From, I'm not from Bristol. I basically yeah, had five I understand. years of my life there. I understand. Like, 18 to 23, I think it was. Um, but you're almost 20 years later, too, and a lot can change. Yeah, yeah. Look, but um, it's a cool town, Bristol. It's absolutely. Got a, it's got a vibe about it's a har it. It's a harbor. Look, we're, yeah. at the, we're at the end of the first hour, August 15, 2020, special edition, uh, special guest, <laughs> Hold tight for hour two. August 15, 2020, it's the second hour of the Lot from Pedro Show.
second hour with uh, the reluctant ancestor 24,000 hours this is uh, Alex's first attempt at songwriting on his own but before we get to that we got to under- find uh, out the mystery of this agent orange band now how the, how'd, you, how'd the English one come together okay so we um, so yeah I've been playing bass for like literally like a few months but I've, I've always been excessively optimistic I think I'm always like oh, I can do this you know so I was immediately, from the moment I was there, just a complete beginner bassist. And, I, and, and I'm not a natural talent. 
I know I'm creative and I've got a sort of different way of approaching things. And I, I, I'm, I'm good at coming up with, in, nowadays I feel I'm good at coming up with risks, but I'm, I'm not somebody you can drop into a band. And you, I just don't have that quick an ear, but I've got, so anyway, I started um, trying to find musicians and I basically had probably a year or so of jamming with people and gradually putting a band together. I met a guy, Dan, Dan Fairser. He plays guitar on those Agent Orange tracks. He's a great guy and we're still good friends. And um, we managed to recruit. Uh, after a while, we, re- we recruited, we auditioned two drummers, chose one, and then he was a no-show at the next rehearsal. So we went back to the second one. <laughs> Turned out the second drummer um, could write songs. So he became the main songwriter. And then he got his mate along, so that's Jake Doran, and again, still good friends with Jake. And then he recruited his flatmate or hallmate from uni to come along and record us because he knew about like what had a four work in a four track and stuff like that. So we had one Easter where we all the other students from my flat had gone home. So we set up in there with a load of mattresses and drum kit and really disturbed the neighbours but <laughs> we got some recordings and then we persuaded James the guy who'd come along to do the um, the teching to have a go at singing and that's how that, and oh we got another guitarist who I always forget there was a, guitar, a second guitarist in the early days the the band name I didn't know we, we didn't know about there being the the LA punk band from the were they late 70s they began well I think real Agent Orange 79 or 80 or something like that yeah but like I say it's the, the world was different back then, wasn't it, in how you consumed music and how you found out about music. Absolutely. I mean, now, you, it's, it's, I find it really weird now in that I've, I, I feel music had so much value back then because you, you had to seek it out. It was like a mission, you know, and if there wasn't something, because you'd have to go to a shop to find it. If a shop didn't have, well, especially, well this, especially this kind of music, Alex, the way you hurt, because the Square Johns and, and the, the racket and shit, they didn't want to deal with it. So you only knew about this shit through fanzines. Yes. And I, um, oh, where was I going? Well, yeah, we no, were talking about how the band got named. Yes. Yeah, the band name, you know what it's nightmare it is coming up with band names. Yep. And um, I don't know how we came up with that one. In, in retrospect, nowadays, I wouldn't. Name the band that I was actually funnily enough I was reading about the Agent series because there's there's a whole rainbow series of biological weapons and chemical weapons yeah, that the US poison. government created Agent Blue and Agent Orange and there's there's a ton of them <laughs> and I was and I was like I can't believe me and my mates decided to name a band after such a hideous hideous thing yeah. and, and, and and you know it came back and bit us in the ass it got a lot of our soldiers cancer and shit. Oh, it's, it's, it's the, the impact decades on it's just right, and it's left sc- it's left scars in Vietnam way after the war. It was a yeah. it was a big mistake. But yeah. look, what I asked you was, did you guys record before you played a gig? Um, kind of, yeah. We okay. we we didn't get we we were just sort of jamming and trying to get song ideas down, and then let me think. That was the. Well, I'm curious, what was the first gig like? I remember being rooted to the, We did, we had, our first gig was booked, and then we managed to, we got another sort of mini gig, so like, which, a sort of small one, like as a practice, which we did the day before. I remember <laughs> that first gig, so it was at, the, it was at my, my bandmate's hall of residence, so there was not many people there, you know, probably 20 people or something. And I remember being so scared, my leg just, one leg just shook. Yeah. That's right. okay. No, no, that happens to me a lot still. Yeah. <laughs> Here, yeah. I want I want to play uh, uh, some more reluctant ancestor. Yeah. 
But who's been driving me mad? Questioning my motives, looking like a mouthful of deceit. But though you knew the whole score, you couldn't help but help yourself to leave me notes of wanting more. And I wanted you to know what you wanted me to show. Without an ounce of doubt, you convoluted, cryptic pal. Wondering, wondering what to do. I'm wondering if bunkers in my shoes. Oh, help me, God! Oh, help me, please! I'm running out of breath to say my pleas, and it goes on and on and on. Will someone help me end this song? I never wanted you to see how I could be. I'll let you know what you should know. I'll let you know where I could go, but I should know where I should know. And though I'll go where I don't know, and where I go, well, no one knows. But you should know. I know, I know. Oh yes, I know. I'll scratch that itch behind my face. I wanna send it from this place. I want you to come back to me, though we're and brave like Captain B. I am the man. I am the man. I've got my glass of coke in hand, my Nikes and my blue wristband, a commercialized brass mini. I'm doing it for wealth and fame. To have the muse just a desire to hear them chant my own name. Oh, help me, God! Oh, help me, please! I'm bending down. Oh 
free, she told the devil. After she told me she got a passage to the final sea in her heart. In her heart. Oh, in her heart. In her heart. Yeah, in her heart.
my soul Wear a jacket, baby Oh, cause it's very, very cold Oh, I wish it could be different I wish that I could find Something of importance in the kingdom The kingdom of my mind
century blues It's a chance for me and for you To make a change in how we live our lives To reconsider what once we desired To find the reason within our plastic disease Mortgages for long careers Ian Fury would hand me a fiver But someone is earning dollars off the given enticer Credit cards coming out of my ears Oats to mortgages for long careers Ian Fury would hand me a fiver But someone is earning dollars off the given enticers I know James Jamerson had this great uh, quote about, uh, oh, shit, we didn't, uh, I didn't go through all the songs that we started the second hour off with. What a, what a moron. Well, I got it, you know, and here we are in the second block of music. After 2,400 hours, that reluctant has, we had the bass only, isolated bass track of James Jamerson doing what's going on from Marvin Gaye. Because, uh, yeah, he was talking about recording with Smokey Robbins, and he said about take 243 the rigor mortis started to set in. 
<laughs> After that, uh, Plastic Ono band, Yoko Ono with uh, Enigma's uh, guest singing, Wait for the D-Train Float from K, Hold Company from Sweats and Clay, Sam Bennett Bone Down, Bombas Prendon, Force Delight, Debris Factor, there's a DC band, I don't think they ever did gigs, just recorded, and The Reluctant Single Mother. And then this batch of songs we just heard was a demo you made called Scratching for the Reluctant Ancestor. Everything I Say Just Goes Right, Peter Lochner from the old Cleveland scene. Blood Drained Cows out of New Mexico, that's Greg Turner from uh, Cream Magazine and Angry Simone's The Kingdom of My Mind. Damon Smith on stand-up bass with Flayed Sun. Foom, brand new, tasted. Flying Vipers, some brand new, some good dub bass there. Uh, Son of Scorpio. And finally, The Reluctant, not The Reluctant Ancestor, people, with Lend Us a Fiver. Okay, continue on, Alex. There's quite a fun story behind that song, Lend Us a Fiver. Bring um, it, bring it. Yeah, you know, you're Ian Jury and the Blockheads. Sure. Um, you know, great band, rock and roll. Great, great lyricist, you know just so cool and I sadly I was meant to be seeing him at a festival and he, he was ill I think he was playing Glastonbury one year but then he was ill and couldn't and then he then he then he died and um, and then a blockhead song was used on a credit card advert I think it I'm trying to think which one it was I think it might have been hit me with the rhythm stick um and I was so offended as a, this would have been about 2005 ish I was so offended at the using a song by the Blockheads on a credit card advert, and I was like, I've got to write a song about that. That's, that's where the lyrics came from, hence the lenders of Fiverr. Ah, so you're a, it was a reply. Yeah. Yeah, it was all, it was about, because it was it, that time, and you, you'll remember it from the, that the, the first decade of the 2000s was an era where in both in the, the US and the UK, and probably a lot of the, the developed world, the, the Western world or whatever, banks had realised that, and, card companies were just throwing credit at people, weren't they? And that's what led to the financial crash and all this sort of disaster. That's right. And it was like, keep, make people spend money. And I'm like, why Why is the world obsessed with making you borrow money so you can buy stuff you don't need, so you can be into more debt to pay, you know? Hence, hence that song. That's a good point. And you know, uh, Mr. Dury, he was born with a lot of challenges. Yeah. And uh, he's qu quite heroic, you know. Get up there and I don't give a fuck. I'm going to sing my song. I, I really liked his spirit. He he yeah. was on that label Stiff. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, uh, Devo had some, I think the first records in England was was, was, was from uh, on Stiff. and uh, great. I think it, the, their, their slogan was, if it ain't Stiff, it ain't worth a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> or so, so, something like that. And, uh, uh you know, but that's what music's for, you know. If you feel something on your chest and you want to get it out, you, you like you're saying, these people from above are sending down these messages. How else can you defend yourself except with some artistic expression? Yeah, because like that, that band of mine at uni that we called Agent Orange because we didn't know any better, um, that was one where I played bass and I was very much, oh, I was, my God, I played so far ahead of the beat. <laughs> yeah. And we learn later, right, oh, yeah. that you want to play on bass, you want to play actually a little behind the beat. So the kick drum yeah. has, has a good percussive. The drums, you want to be a little behind the drums so they get the first hit in there because their notes don't last that long. Yeah, it takes, yeah I was so top, so much top spin back then. <laughs> That's okay. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, August 15, 2020. Special guest, Alex Claver. Hold tight for hour three. August 15, 2020, it's the third hour. 
of the Watt for Pedro show. <laughs>
off for Pedro show. Started third hour off with in the back of my mind. It's a practice from the reluctant. And uh, so, so what? Uh, uh, and then we had uh, Crane and Skip doing "Here I Am" in Chinatown. Another practice from the reluctant. So, so what ended up happening with Agent Orange? That band of uh... because it's uh, well, I asked because of the reluctant, and then the reluctant ancestor, obviously the band. Yeah. Played. So and then uh, so I, I moved to London. Um, for, for work and life and whatever started a band and it i i didn't i wasn't an experienced writer i'd only co-written and so constantly we started out playing some covers and i was like okay that's cool we'll do a gig and then it just stayed as a covers band so i played three gigs with them and quit um <laughs> i don't like i don't like playing covers i it, it I, it's maybe it sounds weird but i feel like i'm pretending yeah yeah halloween yeah, it just sucks my soul out. Like I couldn't act. I can. I'm only any good at being me. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the way I am. So if you're going to cover the song, you say you should reinterpret it, and make it your own kind of. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's fun to do that. But you know what? To do that well, yeah, is as much work as writing another bloody song. Oh so yeah, I'd rather write a new song. <laughs> well, Jimmy did it good with Hey Joe. Oh my God! Yeah, and he also and, did and, he, um, uh, and all along the Watchtower. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I, the yeah. story I heard about that, he heard it once. When it first came really? out, and he said, I want to cover it. I mean, that's he balls out. But you know, the Band of Gypsy record's actually the first gig. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy was balls out like this. Here, I, I want to play uh, Malcolm's thing. <laughs> Malcolm knows he's her best friend 
needs no validation. He waits to hear his hotline ring.
right now, my friends. Here is my swan song. I don't have time down here. I struggle far too long. I'm leaving you right now, my friends. Here is my swan song.
Uh, for Peter's show, that was Malcolmstein, the practice from the Reluctant Shipbuilding, from Little Annie and Paul Walfish and uh, Kid Congo Powers is on here uh, uh, playing guitar. Sir uh, Zuba, this is the fifth part of Frank E. Lasty's uh, brother Koya, great bass man from uh, Belgrade, but playing guitar for this movie soundtrack. We've, it's the fifth part I played last five episodes, and then finally Funeral Song by the Reluctant, huge o- opus magnum. Magnus Opus. Yeah, <laughs> I was pleased with that. You started it, but it got out of your hands, and you you let it go. But then, you, what about this company, Bareface? Yeah. So what what happened was, so I was playing bass, and I, I then started the. I, I, I when we we moved to Brighton, which is another, another place by the sea, and um, I started doing jamming with various people, and basically, <laughs> there was a critical point. Was was my wife. Um, were we married at that point? No, I don't think we were. It was before we were married. But um, she did an evening class painting. And I was like, right, well, if you're going out for the evening, I'm going to try and write a song, write and record a complete song that evening. And then I'll do the same again the next week. And there is nothing like being like, I am going to finish it. Um, so that band got rolling. And I play loud. I play bass loud. I'm, I'm always loud a lot of bottom ends i'll use really noisy effects pedals at times and basically i'm an engineer i want to know how stuff works and i started looking into the stuff i was looking to buy and it's all expensive and for what it seemed to be so i decided to make my own stuff and i wrote about it on a forum because i've been on base active on base forums and before that the, the bottom line newsletter since you know the at some point in the late 90s and it just gathered a bit of momentum and i was like right i'll build two of these I'll build 10 of these, I'll keep two, I'll sell eight, I'll finally turn a profit on something musical, <laughs> and that'll be that, and I'll go back to my, you know, continue on with my day job. Well, people were interested, because I had all these ideas, I, 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 it was like, um, yeah, I just, I, it's, I think, it's obviously something I've got a bit of a knack for, I, I've got, I remember the first time I got stoned at university, sitting there, listening to the music that was on, and I could see the sound, I could see the sound waves and see them in a really physical way. Yeah. And I've spoken to other people about that. And ever, no one has... And I, I think I have a weird way of connecting with physical things in a way that means I understand them at quite a deep level. So sound waves and all that, it made sense to me. So the design work made sense. And obviously I've got engineering training. I've got a degree in that. But something about that and the and the playing bass, it all sort of came together. And, yeah, pretty much like the first thing was good, which was nice. You know, um, I have one experience like that because I, I only played one gig on LSD. I didn't know we right. had it. I didn't know there was a gig that night and I had taken it. And then, hey, luckily it was in Pedro, so I didn't have to go far. But yeah. I couldn't play. I, could, I didn't know what any of the songs were. I didn't know. <laughs> I was tripping balls. <laughs> and what it seemed like was my... I didn't have a bass guitar. I had a giant tuba toothpaste. And I was squeezing this motherfucker. And the tooth, the bass sound was toothpaste coming out the end. So I would chop it into shorter parts or longer parts. And I would just start and stop with Georgie and D. Boone. And somehow I got through the whole gig. And then I ran out of the place. I was using somebody else's amp and just ran home. Yeah. So I had a little bit of sound as a visual thing. But only once. Yeah. Only once. <laughs> But yeah, the, what that meant, though, that, what that did, what the, the bareface thing did to the band was 
it kind of sucked out all my creative energy because people, you know, engineer, the word engineer comes from ingenieur, ingenious. It's, it's a true engineering is a very creative thing. And I base and I could see that I could actually make a living doing this potentially. And it was, you know, more interesting, not as well paid, but more interesting than my day job. And it kind of gathered momentum. I sort of put all this energy that my songwriting and music making energy, because in that band, the reluctant, I was the, the, by far the main songwriter, the only lyricist, the lead vocalist and the bassist. So I was doing a lot. Yeah. I, and I didn't. And, and then the, the other thing I noticed was playing a gig where you're the front man through the gear that you've designed. And essentially you are testing when you're playing it on a gig. You can't get into the. I kept falling out. I kept being pulled out of my musician front man, you know, sort of the emotional musical headspace into my engineering headspace. That doesn't work. You couldn't see the forest um, from the trees. You couldn't get perspective. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't do art. It was. Be- it was becoming just like test driving. You know, right? Lab rat. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. So that band kind of petered out, and for, oh, for and then for quite a long time, this would be about 2016. I just sporadic. I'd play bass for testing stuff for work and bit stuff like that. I don't really like learning other people's stuff. The only album I've learned start to finish a long time ago was Blood Sugar Sex Magic because Flea's amazing. Um, and then I I learned quite a few of Jacko's things because it's just so musical and challenging. Yeah, but other than yeah. that, I never really you know played other people's things. Um, and then when we had that Brexit vote in 2016, I think it was. So you know Britain voting by the finest of margins to to leave the European Union, which is complete madness. Um, I was so angry. I was so fucking livid. The only way I could deal with it was to start writing again. And and then what's happened over the last few years, I've been writing more and more. And then when lockdown happened, you know, a few months ago, I was like, right, I'm going to make an album. I'm going to get on and crack on with this. And I've got my phone. I use my phone like as a you know portable recorder, even the voice memo thing and an iPhone. And that's right. everything's on there that I've been doing. And I went through and counted up and found I had exactly 100 riffs or songs, if that makes sense. So I'd count a, a group of riffs or a group of changes or group of ideas as, as one thing or a, a, a lone riff that didn't have anything to go with it. Literally 100 of these on there. And I'm like, and that's like a, f- a couple of years of output of stuff. And obviously some of it's rubbish, but some of it's great. There's some great riffs in there. So I've been like, right, I'm going to start finishing songs. I'm going to start writing lyrics. So um, the YouTube thing that I started doing for work about six weeks ago has kind of taken some momentum out of that because obviously that's going to make me money for running Bareface, helping spread the word about our gear. But I'm about six songs in now with lyrics written, not necessarily all finished, but and rough arrangements together. So it's just bass and vocals and lyrics nothing's recorded and i've just started the the space we've got at work that i'm doing the um youtubing from we're turning that basically into rehearsal slash recording space because it's really good for demoing the gear and it's also great because everyone at bareface plays instruments and is in bands so it's like you know best book of the job ever so hooked up with the drummer from the reluctant and we're, we're just starting doing stuff again so give me uh give me a year because it's going to take a while in between running barefaced and wrangling three children um, and I should have a, a great album of original material, which I'm excited about. I've, I've, I feel I've got like a, a decade of learning. And, and the other thing that's affected me, until about sort of four, five years ago, 
I was quite happy with a lot of things. I was like, I'm not angry anymore. Um, I watched, um, uh, there's, you've probably seen it, you know, um, amazing Paul Simon album, Graceland. I watched, I rewatched the documentary about the sort of making of that classic album documentary. And Paul Simon was talking about why he thought Graceland was such a successful album was that it had, there was a lot of, you know, anger and complexity and, you know, the apartheid thing and all that behind it. But he doesn't write angry music. He writes positive music. And I thought I'm the total opposite of that. Whenever I'm <laughs> writing, it's because I'm livid about something, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and I'd stopped being angry about stuff because I'd left my annoying corporate job. Bareface was progressing all right. You know, it was there was only a handful of us working there, so it wasn't too stressful. I, the money seemed to be working out all right. I'm not somebody who spends a lot of money. I don't need that much money to live on, you know. Um, but then over the last, yeah, five years or so, the, the rise of pro- the political problems globally, I've, you know, I've been ranting at uh, the tabloids causing people to commit suicide. I've been ranting about slavery. I've got, I've, <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those, I, I'm very much aware I'm from a very fortunate, privileged background. You know, I'm a white English person with a great, education, I had a loving family, you know, it's not like I had the old challenge in life. But I'm I'm coming from a place of don't have that and so many other privileged people don't realise how big an issue this is. You know? I, I I think I got what you mean you mean, man. You want to fucking express yourself through your art about stuff you feel is yeah. important. And I, I'm totally with yes. that. And I think that was one of the basic things of the movement going way back anyway. Yeah, well this <clears throat> I remember that I realised because when I first came across you through Bass Player magazine, and um, and this this I realised that although I'm not someone who necessarily plays punk, I love that kind of that punk aesthetic, that DIY, that express yourself. Um, well, but to me, uh, that's yeah. the, that's the main point of the movement because the style. As far as I'm concerned, there was never a punk style. It was always no. a state of mind. That's up to the music people to come up with their yeah. own style. Yeah, and I think that that's, yeah. I just just let people do what they want to do. Let people be who they want to be. Yeah. Stop pigeonholing everyone, yeah. you know? And yeah. the world is changing. Yeah. Things are changing in a big way. But there are so many people, many of whom have a lot of power, trying to stop it changing, trying to keep everyone in their boxes. Absolutely. Often because, it, because keeping everyone in their boxes is important for their wealth and their power. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I can't wait to hear this record. So you get it done, you come back on the show, let's fucking play the songs and talk about it. I will do. Okay, brother. People, it's been the August 15, 2020 edition of the Wap Pedro Show special guest, Al Kleber. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>